Our Father, we thank you that we've had the privilege to look into this uh, last letter of Paul. We are thankful for, for the gospel, which has changed our lives, radically changed his, and you plucked him out of opposition and made him the, the leading spokesman of his time and really down through the ages for the gospel and explaining the gospel and defending the gospel. We are grateful that we have your scripture. We are grateful that we have your truth. It, it is somewhat ironic that we would be studying this last epistle at this particular moment when so many things are changing so rapidly in this nation. We are cognizant of the fact that we are moving not closer to you, but we are moving as a nation further away. We are aware that as a nation we were built, and it's very apparent every time we visit our nation's capital that the word of God is everywhere. There was a foundation that was there that, that really scripture was the basis of so many of our laws, so many of the principles in our founding documents, but once again, we're not moving closer to those principles. We're moving further away. And we're also aware, Lord, that in our particular time in which we're living, that uh, the gospel is uh, hated. The gospel is um, abhorred. The gospel is mocked. And because we love you, and we have been saved by the gospel, we find ourselves in situations that, uh, facing situations and thinking about situations that really would have been unthinkable when we were young men, when we were little boys. We often can, are concerned about our kids, what they will face. We're concerned about our grandkids because we see a shift. We see things going in a direction that grieves us and concerns us. And it's hard to go throughout a day without being aware of this. But once again, we come to this epistle, this last epistle that was written in a time of tremendous persecution. And by reading this epistle and this last letter from Paul, we find out how to live. We find out how to exist, and not only to exist, but we also find out how to be productive. We, we, we find out how it is that you can use us in times like these and what we need to do to keep our feet under us. We find out what we need to do to recalibrate ourselves on a daily basis more and more to your teaching and to your word. We are, we are hit with so many influences. They are so strong. They, they pull with such strength. It is absolutely essential that we stay anchored. So we are grateful. We are grateful, Lord, that we can open our Bibles. We are grateful that as men we can study. And we trust your Holy Spirit to take this word that we study tonight and then for each guy, because you're interested in each guy. You don't look at us as just part of a crowd. You know us as individuals. 
you know precisely what we're dealing with, you know the concerns, you know the apprehensions, you know the pressures, you know it all. So therefore we would ask you to take these truths which we will study tonight and we would ask you to customize them and apply them to where we are. We need to hear from you as we do every time we meet. Every time we read the scriptures, we need to hear from you. Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from thy law. That's our prayer tonight. So, after a long day, energize us, make our minds sharp, help us to focus and concentrate as your spirit teaches us. Give us uh, hearts that are open. Not, Not defensive hearts, but open hearts. Quick to hear, quick to respond, and then quick to apply your word. That would be our prayer tonight. We would ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, after weeks and weeks of taking one verse at a time, um, we're moving beyond that. And tonight, we're going to grab chapter 3 of 2 Timothy. Um, I was in uh, northern Georgia this past weekend. Uh, I was I was at a church I've been probably four times, five times in the last 10, 12 years. R- really an interesting church. Um, I, I always enjoy being with those folks. Uh, the church itself was established in 1802. And uh, it's, it's a church that's out in the country. The, the sprawl and growth from Atlanta has not reached this area yet. There's some folks that uh, live in this area, and they commute into North Atlanta, but it'd take them probably 45 minutes. But uh, it's out in the country, and the first time I went to this church to do a conference, they, uh, we got off the interstate, and we started going down these two-lane back roads, and I mean, I mean, we're in the middle of nowhere, the middle of nowhere. And after about two or three miles, I think to myself, where the heck are we going here? And, you know, it's just curving and old mobile homes and, you know, keeled over from the last, you know, tornado. And it's not looking real good. And you come around a curve, then you come around another curve. And here's this brand new church uh, out in the middle of the country. And uh, this little church, it's interesting, the pastor, uh, we had some time together this weekend. He just celebrated his 20th anniversary. He came there as as a youth pastor. He was in his uh, early 20s. Uh, they had 10 people in the church when he showed up. They were hurting. And uh, he had never been to seminary, but he was just a gifted young leader. And kids start coming in, and then their families start coming in. And before you know it, they asked this guy to be the pastor. Well, as, as he'll tell you, he didn't know the first thing about anything. But uh, he was a natural leader. And it's really interesting now because that church is still quite a ways away but they run about 2,000 people a Sunday. I, I, as I talk with him and as uh, we were in his office and he was showing me uh, some things in his study, he's, he's pretty much a guy who is self-taught, never had the opportunity to go to seminary. But he is a student of the Word of God. And that's why that church has grown the way that it has grown. People come from three, four counties around there, maybe five, 
to come and hear the word of God expounded. Um, as we were in his office, he started showing me some things he does on Wednesday night. They still have a Wednesday night service there. And he started showing me his, his, uh, his handouts for the Wednesday night study. And it was pretty stellar stuff. He's got the Greek text printed out. That's pretty stellar. You know? And, and, but he's never really been able to take Greek. But he prints it out. And uh, Dan Wallace, some of you guys know Dan Wallace, uh, who teaches at Dallas Seminary and has a Greek grammar. He, he said, I love Dan Wallace's grammar. And so he'll make little notes off the text from Wallace's grammar. And he's, you know, he said, hey, when you, tell him, when you see Wallace, tell him that there's a guy in North Georgia that loves his Greek grammar. And I said, I'll tell him. And, and as we were talking, he said, you know, I've been here 20 years and uh, just celebrated 20 years. And he said, you know, this has been a great year because he said, you know, basically what I do is I, I'm realizing at 20 years, I thought, okay, this church has grown beyond my wildest dreams, and this is great, and this is wonderful, and all that. So what am I going to do? I mean, we got a growing church more than I ever thought we'd have. So what am I going to do from here on out? And he said, you know, I, I went away for about a week, took some time off, and he think, the thing that struck me, he, says, he said, I really want to become a better Bible preacher and teacher. And he said, I made a brand new commitment to study the Word of God. And he said, I made a brand new commitment to gather some young men around me and disciple them every year. So basically, he says, I'm doing two things. He says, I study, and I study hard, and then basically, he's writing his own commentary for himself. I mean, this guy's going after it. And he's self-taught. Uh, he didn't have a lot of people come on Wednesday night because, I mean, it's heavy stuff. But... They're growing and they're learning. And then he, he's got 12 guys that he's picked each year in the church. And they meet with him on a consistent basis. And he teaches them basic Bible study methods and basic theology and how to interpret the Bible. And he takes them through this year-long course. And then what they do after they've gone through that is that they've got to go get a group of guys and then go teach them, which is 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. He's preaching the word. And the things which he has heard, he is entrusting to faithful men that they may entrust others also. You know what that guy's doing? He's following the word of God. And that's why God's using him. And that's why this little church in the middle of nowhere is growing like crazy. Uh, it's kind of an old-time church. Kind of old-timey. You, you know what I mean? It's not, um, it, they have some very nice facilities, very sharp. But it's kind of an old-school approach. You know? Um, It just is. And it's, 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 a, like a, it's like it's a Baptist church, but it's like uh, uh, half these people have Pentecostal backgrounds. And so it's kind of, Sunday morning, it's kind of like going to worldwide wrestling. I mean, it, it's kind of fun. <laughs> I mean, they, they preach the word, but boy, they get into it. I was raised in a Pentecostal church. So when the pastor would pray on Sunday morning, it's just not the pastor who prays. Everybody prays, right, Roger? Everybody prays out loud. It's great. Kind of freak you out if you've never been in it before. It was kind of fun. But it was great to see this church just moving ahead, growing. And here's a pastor who said, you know what? I've had 20 great years. What do I do from here on out? 
We would chat with you. Oh, my God. You know what? I'm just going to go deeper. I'm going to go deeper. You guys just following what Paul said to Timothy, right out of 2 Timothy. Now, we were talking about Bible study, and he was showing me some stuff in his study and all this, and, and he started to read some of the old preachers and some of the great commentators. As we were talking, he said, you know, Steve? He said, you know what these guys would do? I said, what would they do? He said, these guys all had different approaches and different personalities. But these guys that really knew the word, you know what they'd do? Before they'd ever teach a passage, they'd read like through a book. If a guy was going to teach Timothy, he'd read through the book like 40 times. He said, that's what G. Campbell Morgan would do. I said, yeah. Yeah. He says, that's why he knows that book so well. I said, yeah. Yeah, you read something 40 times, you're going to know it. You're going to know it. Um, that principle, if you take Dr. Hendricks' uh, course at Dallas on Bible study methods, he will tell you about the principle of Bible study called observation. You just read the text, you read the text, you read the text, you read the text, and then you observe what it says. It's not rocket science. You just read it and you observe it. As, as I was reading 2 Timothy chapter 3, three words stood out to me. It's a pretty good chunk of change here, these 17 verses. But I want to break this text up around three words that are in the text. The first word is in verse 1, and the word is realize. The second word is in verse 5, and it's the word avoid. And the third word is in 14, verse 14, and it's the word continue. I think you can take this chapter and pretty much break it down under those three words. As, as Paul's in prison, he's getting ready to die. He's going to hand the baton to Timothy, who's not the strongest guy in the world, who's not the most dynamic leader in the world, uh, a guy who's a little bit timid, and a little bit, you know, standoffish, a little bit shy. He, he hits him with these three shots. Timothy, you got to remember, Timothy, you're going to have to avoid. Timothy, you're going to have to continue. Those are three great markers for us. Now, let's jump into it. Um, uh, this, this chapter 3, beginning with verse 1, uh, you old guys remember Norman Vincent Peale? This is not a Norman Vincent Peale thing. Because here's what he says. Timothy, realize this. You see that word? Realize this. Remember this. Be aware of this. Get this. That in the last days, difficult times will come. So hard times are coming. Now the question often is asked uh, about the last days. You know, are we in the last days? Flip over to Hebrews chapter 1, if you would. Let's go to your right, a few books. Chapter 1, verse 1. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son. When Christ showed up on the scene, it was the beginning of the last days. Now, we know, and we've talked about this before, there was a prophetic calendar, and, 
especially since Israel went back into the land and was reestablished as a nation in 48. Everything has kind of picked up speed. So we're in the last days. We've been in the last days for a while. So when he says, Timothy, realize this, then the last days, difficult times will come. I, I, think, I, I personally think it's kind of interesting he would, he would say him, to him, difficult times will come because they're in difficult times. They're, they're in the middle of the persecution of Nero. This is a horrific time to be a Christian. Uh, 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 I, I mean, it's just hard to assimilate everything those people went through back at this time. And with all that going on and, and, and Christians being burned alive and all this sort of stuff that Timothy was well aware of, Paul says to him, now, Timothy, I want you to realize that difficult times will come. Well, what the heck? I thought these were difficult times. You know, there are cycles. Um, and in, in church history, oftentimes where um, one part of the body of Christ is suffering in one part of the world, another portion of the body of Christ is not suffering. Well, why not? Well, it depends on where they're located. It depends on what nation they're in. It depends on the laws. It depends on the system of government. You see? And sometimes you go through periods of hundreds of years of freedom, and then that suddenly shifts, and you're into persecution and vice versa. So he's telling him, he's, he's, he's getting him ready to let him know that hard times are on their way, even though they're already in hard times. And then what he's going to do, he's going to describe... He's going to describe a cultural breakdown, and he's going to use 19 different terms to show how badly it's going to break down. He says, verse 2, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, Haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Well, that's a little uh, depressing, is it not? What would really be depressing would be to take the time to take each of those 19 terms and define them and then milk them for everything we could get out of them. But just in reading those, you get the sense, don't you, of, of, of what he's talking about. He's talking about the breakdown of a culture. There are three terms here out of the 19 that to me stand out. And I think these three terms, you could pretty much, um, you, you know, remember back in school when you learned how to work a fraction? you work a fraction you got to reduce a fraction you guys remember that isn't that right i think it's right you don't know you don't remember <laughs> how would you know um yeah you got to reduce a fraction uh, uh, in a sense perhaps these 19 could be reduced down to three of them that all begin with the term lovers in verse 2 it says men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, and then in verse 4, lovers of pleasure. Now that pretty much is an umbrella statement 
from which all the others proceed out of. Lovers of self. Uh, our culture, if there is an idol, the number one idol, not American idol, the number one idol of most people in America is the idol of self. We're into self-fulfillment. We're into self-realization. We're into self-understanding. We're into self-expression. We're in, it's, it's all about self. Years ago, you started seeing really the first cracks in the wall on this. Do you remember the book years ago that came out? And the title was somewhat astonishing back then. The title was simply Looking Out for Number One. Well, you don't look out for number one. Well, this guy, and you know what this guy, you know what this guy was saying? It's okay to look out for number one. I'll never forget having lunch. I, I was in seminary, and I had a friend, and uh, he had worked on the staff of a guy that had a big church that was blowing and going, you know, all the, everybody wanted to have a church like this guy. It's just, it's just going like crazy. It's just, I mean, everybody's coming to this church. This guy's the latest, greatest hot shot, you know, in the evangelical world. And so uh, we're, we're having lunch with this guy. And uh, as we're at lunch, this guy keeps talking about this book. And, and I was a little late to lunch, and I didn't get the title, but he was talking about this book, and what a wonderful book he was reading. He just loved this book, and man, this guy had such great insights. And anyway, and then afterwards, we went up to his office, and he said, hey, let me show you this book I was talking about. And he pulls down this book, looking out for number one. I hadn't read it, but the guy was so high on it, I bought a copy, and over the next few days, I read it, and um, I got done with it. I remember walking in. Mary was in the kitchen. I walked in, and I told her the story about this guy who was so high. I said, I said, you know, this is the book. She said, what do you think about it? I said, well, I'll tell you what. I think this guy's in big trouble, and I think he's going down. If he thinks this is a great book, and I, I mean, I'm no prophet. But the principles that are in that book, you know what they're all about? They're all about self. It was, that book was all about being a lover of self. So then I wasn't so surprised when this big shot pastor left his wife about four or five years later and left his kids. Gosh, he was a great communicator, though. <laughs> he was incredible. Uh, he really was. One of the best I've ever heard. Hands, one of the, probably one of the top five I've ever heard in my life. He could flat out communicate the truth. But he was a lover of self. Lovers of money. Jesus said, you can't love God and mammon, the old King James says. What the heck is mammon? It's money, it's wealth. You gotta decide, am I gonna love God or am I gonna love wealth? And we struggle with this because we're men and we have a responsibility to take care of our families and to provide for our families. And sometimes there's a fine line between wanting to provide and do well and use your gifts. There's a line somewhere you can cross where you begin to love money. Well, how do you, where's the line? Well, it's hard to know. And we, we, we've all crossed it from time to time without question. 
We, we don't want to, but it's a temptation. You see? Well, th- this, this is where our culture is. Lovers of self. Everything's self. Don't you dare judge me. Let me tell you something. The, the greatest sin in America right now is to judge anybody about anything. Who are you to judge? I mean, I don't know how we can even have a court system anymore. Because there's no right and there's no wrong. Um, you, you see where we are. You know where we are. Lovers of self, lovers of money. I mean, in a sense, this is an acid test. I think you really find out a guy's character when it comes to money and it comes to business. Don't you? It's amazing how this can um, sway men. Sway them. It can drive them. Oh, and then you get down to verse 4. Lovers of pleasure. Is that us or what? We become not lovers of self-discipline, not lovers of uh, looking out for your brother, looking out for you. We're, we're, we're lovers of pleasure. I, I've, I've told you before what Francis Schaeffer said about 30-some years ago when he was asked a question about the future of America, and he said, and this was radical stuff when he said this. There was a shock that went through the audience. The question was, what did he foresee down the road for the United States of America? This had to be like 1970-something, late 70s. And Schaefer said, I believe the United States of America will ultimately wind up in a dictatorship. I don't know if it'll come from the left or from the right. But he says, where the courts are heading and, and the decisions that are being made and the fact that law is being made on the court instead of law being interpreted by the court. He was just taking where we were at that time and just projecting it out to its logical conclusion. He said, I think America will wind up in a dictatorship. Uh, It very well could come from the courts or it could come from the left or the right. But he said, I believe what will happen is there will be a great crisis and a great emergency and powers will be given up. And the average American will go along and give up his powers if he can be promised two things. The first one is personal peace, and the second one is affluence. If you make sure my life's peaceful, lovers of self, lovers of pleasure, and you make sure that I can maintain my affluence, lovers of money, will give it up. So, don't tell me the Word of God's not relevant. It speaks right to where we are, does it not? It's a two-edged sword. It divides joint and marrow. It just, does it not? It just cuts through all the nonsense. You want to know what's going on? Read this book. This book will tell you what's going on.
Now, what's interesting, now here's what's interesting. We, we know this is in the culture. We understand it's in the culture. We expect it to be in the culture. But let's pick it up at verse 4. I, wa I want you to see a transition he makes here. He's talking about these guys, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure. Now watch this. Rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness although they have de denied its power. You know what he's saying here? He is saying that difficult times are going to come because this is not only going to be in the world system, but this is going to be in the church. That's what he's saying. They've got, see, they're lovers of pleasure. Rather than lovers of God, they should be lovers of God. They're in the church. They hold to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. It's an external, bureaucratic, uh, cultural religion, and these guys have made their way in. Uh, we know from other places in Scripture that we're going to have false teachers in the church. There have always been false teachers in the church. We know from what Jesus said that in the church there will be wheat and tares. You're going to have the true believers. You're going to have the false believers. So within the church, you got the true and the false. They're always with us. Um, flip back to 1 Timothy chapter 4. The Spirit explicitly says that in later times, obviously he's talking about future, although they're in the last days, he's talking about the later times of the last days. That's us. The Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will fall away from the faith paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own consciences with a branding iron, men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. Uh, you see the, the counterfeit here? He says they're going to come. They're going to be false teachers in the church, men seared in their own conscience. Well, he refers again to these guys seared in their own conscience. Uh, and now this takes us to the second word at the end of verse 5. It takes us to the second word, which is the word avoid. The first thing he wanted him to do is realize, realize where we are, realize what's coming. Okay. Now, secondly, Timothy, avoid. Watch this. Avoid such men as these. For among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women, weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Same, it's just a description, a description of the same kind of men in 1 Timothy 4. It's just coming in from the back door. It's just a little bit different angle. These are guys in the church. These are counterfeit teachers. Usually when you've got a, usually when you've got a guy teaching uh, wrong doctrine, you've got a guy who's uh, living wrong. Usually when you've got a guy that is not rightly dividing the word of truth, but you've got a guy who is distorting the word of truth, it's not unusual to see a guy who is uh, involved in some kind of sexual immorality. Um, speaking of Chuck Colson and his email that went out today, 
from his Breakpoint radio program. It's somewhat of a sobering article about um, child abuse in the church and how difficult it is when you grew up in a family where your father is a renowned pastor and a gifted communicator, but at home he's a demon. That'd be tough to live with, would it not? Would that not affect your view of Christ? Would that not affect your view of the authenticity of the gospel? Sure it would. Sure it would. We don't talk about that. It happens. It happens. There's sexual abuse in Christian homes, quote-unquote Christian homes. There's emotional abuse. Some of you guys grew up in homes like that. It's taking you years. You went away from the church. You got as far away from it as you possibly could. As years have gone by, you, you started gravitating back in to Christ. To Christ. Not a counterfeit, but to Christ. Hmm. How we live, guys, is critical. Is it? Is it not? How we live out, how we apply our faith. This is why and I referred to this last week. Flip back again, if you would, to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16. This is where Paul told Timothy in the first epistle, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. The, the problem is, is when a man is teaching correctly but living incorrectly. Now, you have other men who are false teachers that we saw last week, Hymenaeus and Philetus, who say that the resurrection hasn't occurred. Well, they're teaching falsely. And oftentimes when a man is teaching falsely, there's wrong behavior in his personal life. Because if you're off on your doctrine, you're going to be off on your behavior. So the whole point is this. And isn't this an uplifting message tonight? I think it is an uplifting message because it ought to be an encouragement to us to live rightly. To live rightly. I think, I think, you know, sometimes as men, we struggle with a lack of meaning in our lives. We want our lives to count. We want to make a difference. We want to be used. We want to have an impact. And sometimes we think, some of us, well, what I do is just not all that important. I'm really not. Let me tell you something. You follow Christ and you love Christ and you love your wife and you implement the scripture, and you apply your faith, you're going to make a difference for generations. Some of you had fathers like that. Not perfect men, but godly men. Men who love Christ. Men who love your mothers. My gosh, what a gift. Some of you had grandpas like that. What a heritage. Now, you know what your job is? Your job is to pass it on. And you're the third generation if you had a grandpa and a father like that, and it tends to cave always in the third generation. It just does. So what's the job? The job is to hand off the baton. The job is to live it out. The job is to emulate it. The job is that faith which was in them, it's got to be in you. Not just talked about, but lived out 
and apply. The name of the game in the Christian life is to apply your faith. We're big on Bible studies around here, aren't we? We're big on the Bible. And the danger of a church that teaches the Bible is that everybody walks around with these gigantic brains, with these gigantic heads, just full of the Word of God. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just because we got all this knowledge and we want to know the Word of God. It's important. It's critical. We're going to see in a minute to know the Word of God. But the point of it, the whole purpose of it is not just to get this giant brain full of Scripture memory. The whole point of it is to get the, is get the truth in the brain so that it gets into the heart and you live a giant life of obedience to Christ. That's the name of the game, isn't it? Yeah, it is. That's the name of the game. That's the redeal. And the guys that aren't living that way, what does Paul say to Timothy? Timothy, avoid. Avoid those hucksters. Avoid those winsome guys. Avoid those guys that, 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 that have always got the quick retort, the this, the that. They're get the, watch them. Watch them. Verse 5, avoid such men as these. He goes down and he names some guys maybe you haven't uh, been familiar with. Verse 8, Jonas and Jambres. Just as Jonas and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men of depraved mind, rejected in regard to the faith. Uh, Jonas and Jambres, their names are not found in the Old Testament, but according to Jewish tradition, they were part of the magicians. When Moses showed up, and did miraculous works in Egypt, these were magicians of Pharaoh that counterfeited what he did. And you remember at one time, he threw down his rod, it became a snake. And then what did they do? Threw down their rod, it became a snake. But then what happened? Moses' snake ate their snake. By the way, if you have a black snake on your property, don't kill it. I just, this is, this is off the text. I just want to share this with you. <laughs> I, got, I got something over the internet this week. If you have a black snake on your property, don't kill it because black snakes eat poisonous snakes. If you, got a, if you got a bull snake on your property, leave it alone. Leave it alone because you want that. It'll take the poisonous snakes and it'll take care of them. I'm just sharing that. Just something you can file away for reference. So a couple years ago, I walk out the side door out of the laundry room, and I'm going down that pathway, and there's a big black bull snake, probably six feet long. You know, I didn't see the second. It, it was getting dark. I almost stepped on it. And then I looked, and we have a bullfrog, a little bullfrog and his family that live around our front door, come out at night. Well, the bullfrog, the daddy frog, is halfway in the mouth of this bull snake. It's a true story. And since I'm a member of PETA, <laughs> I went and got my shovel, and I said, I'm going to do a Heimlich maneuver on this sucker. And I just took that shovel, and I do a pop, and I hit that snake right, be right behind the head. It's an absolute true story. That bullfrog came out of there. 
I mean, it was, he came out like a projectile. And now when I drive home at night in the driveway, here comes that bullfrog. <laughs> he loves me. <laughs> the end there, I kind of exaggerated, but that, that is a true story. I'm just sharing that with you. It's off the scripture, but who knows when you'll need to know the importance of a black snake. We, we cover all of life here. It's all under the Lordship of Christ. So just wanted you to know that. Um, in verse 10, we begin a new section. And this revolves around the word continue. Continue. Now, continue isn't in verse 10, but it's in verse 14. Let's read the section. Now, you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions and sufferings, such as happened to me at Antioch and at Iconium and at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Oh, that's good to know. Here's a verse you can put on your refrigerator. <laughs> Don't you sometimes wish the Bible were written in pencil? You know, we got the NASB, NIV, ESV, KJV. Someone ought to come out with the NPV, the new pencil version. Because there are some things in the Bible I like, and there are some things in the Bible that I'm not real hot on. I would say, I'll be honest with you, uh, verse 12 is not one of my uh, top five scriptures. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But it's the truth. It's the truth. And we're seeing more and more of it, aren't we? Yes, we are. Yes, we are. So we just face up to it. But evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. This is a reference back up to the guys he was talking about previously. Now watch 14. You, however, continue. In the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scriptures are inspired by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So, in, you know, the bad news is in the opening verses. Look, things are going to get bad, things are going to get worse and worse. Yeah, it's tough now, but you haven't seen nothing yet. It's going to get worse. Difficult times are going to come. Because the world system, we got these 19 things. Oh, and by the way, we got these 19 things in the church with the false teachers. So these guys are going to be among you. These guys are going to be doing all this stuff with these weak-willed women. You're going to see it. Don't be shocked by it. It's going to happen. I'm just telling you in advance, it's going to happen. Avoid those guys. Avoid them. They've always been around, but that's not how are you to live. You're to be different. You are not to be conformed to this world, but you are to be transformed by the renewing of your mind in Christ Jesus. And when your mind is transformed, your behavior is transformed. Your actions are transformed. 
So now, you see, that's, that's, that's kind of the way it is. That's the setting. That's what we're up against, okay? Now, in contrast to that, Timothy, continue. Continue. You don't live like that, and you don't have to be freaked out by what's coming. You don't have to be in distress or in despair. I tell you, I've been thinking about that quote that Colson gave a few weeks ago at Park City's Press, that despair is the denial of God's sovereignty. That, that'll get you through the day. You start despairing. You start getting down. You start looking at all this stuff. You start getting overwhelmed. What are you doing? You're starting to go down the road to despair. All right? What you're doing, you got to catch yourself. Despair is the denial of God's what? Sovereignty. Once again, you got to step back and say, how can Paul say, realize this, Timothy, that difficult times will come? Because God has determined that they're going to come. Has he not? You got this book back here called Revelation. You got a book back here called Daniel. And you got God's eternal plan. You got prophecy. God tells us where we're going. All right, okay, good. We all know this. There's going to be an antichrist. There's going to be a guy that's going to deceive everybody. And what's going to happen is he's going to have them all pretty much conned until he, the scripture says, takes his seat in the temple. What temple? The temple in Jerusalem. Well, there is no temple in Jerusalem. Not yet. But it's coming. And where's that going to be? Right where the Dome of the Rock Muslim Mosque is right now? Oh, that's going to be interesting. Is it not? That's going to be real interesting. Well, how's that all going to work out? Well, I don't know, but it's going to happen. And the Jews are going to be conned by this guy until he takes his seat in the temple and declares himself to be God. See, so we're all moving towards this. We're, all, we're moving towards it. This is just, um, but, but see, as, as, as you're watching it move that way, you can become despairing if you're not careful. No, when you get in despair, you're denying the sovereignty of God. What's happening is God's, and, and sometimes, guys, I feel like a broken record, but I don't want to be a broken record, but we've got to be reminded of this. God is just working the plan. The stuff that you read in the newspaper this morning that upset you, it's all part of the plan. Is it not? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. I can't remember if this happened last week and I shared this story or not. I'm going to share it again. I don't think I shared it. Um, I got this old 85 Mercedes diesel, and we've kept it around. It's got 300,000 miles on it, and it's just good. as It's a spare, and, you know, sometimes somebody needs a car. Hey, take this and drive it, and let's lay hands on it before you drive it and hope for the best. <laughs> But, you know, we've had it a long time. But the sucker, I, 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 Dave's foreign car up in Denton, he's had it. And he said, Steve, look, you're going to have to put so many thousands in this. He said, it's not worth it. It's not where it's gone. So I had to go up there and take the title, and we're going to cremate the thing or do something. I don't know what we're going to do. But. So I'm, I'm there signing the, the, the uh, title over, and there are two guys. It's a small waiting room, and there are two guys talking, and they're talking about the economy. These guys are in there probably 60s, 70s, talking about the economy and what's going on and all this. And, the, and this one guy is, uh, obviously knew quite a bit about economics, but he said, well, my greatest concern is, is, the, uh, 
is the fall of the dollar. We're losing value in the dollar. And he said, you know, it's getting so bad that the European Union, they're talking now about going to a worldwide universal currency. I didn't get the sense these guys were Christians. That's in the Word of God. That's in the Word. And these guys, they can see it coming. You know what? It's coming, and I'll tell you what else. It's predetermined. It's predetermined. It's prophecy, is it not? It's going to happen. It's okay. God's sovereign. God's in charge. God's in control. He's working his plan. <gasps> yeah, but what? But no, it's all right. It's okay. Everything's good. You still got Bluebell in your freezer, don't you? You're, you're good. You're good for tonight anyway. All right. How did I get on that? I have no idea. Hey, avoid, watch this, avoid, but continue. Continue what? Verse 10, he says, now you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings. John Stott's got a great little section here. Paul is reminding Timothy not simply that he is fully known or observed his doctrine and conduct as if he were murdered. Uh, an impartial student or a detached observer, but that he has become a dedicated disciple of the apostles. The idea here when he says uh, intent, now you followed, it's, it's to follow in someone's footsteps, but it's to embrace, it's to embrace not just what they say externally, but internally. Stock goes on and says, no doubt he had begun by taking pains to grasp the meaning of Paul's instructions. But then he went further. Timothy made it his own, believed it, absorbed it, lived by it. Similarly, he went on to imitate it. Because Paul knew himself as an apostle to be following Christ, he did not hesitate to invite others to follow him. Be imitators of me, he wrote, as I am of Christ. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1. You see, so what he's saying, Timothy, look at so you got all these false guys, you got all these counterfeit guys. Forget those guys. I want you to follow my, my what? Look at 10. My teaching. What's the next thing he says? My conduct. That's watching your doctrine. That's watching your life. Hey, you've seen me teach the big crowds, and you've seen me in a house when nobody's around. You know how I live my life. You've seen me in public, and you've seen me in private. You follow my teaching, my conduct, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, my perseverance, persecutions, sufferings. You avoid those guys and you follow. And by the way, who is Paul following? He's following Christ in his word. That all goes back to verse 14. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. And then he talks about his childhood. That he's known the sacred writings. And then, you know, it's, and then it always comes back to this. Where does he wind up? You start reading this uh, chapter, and it's a, little bit, uh, it's a little bit of a downer because in the last days, difficult times will come. And you got counterfeit teachers. It's a little bit of a downer. It doesn't end on a downer. Continue. And then watch this. Verses 16 and 17. He goes once again to the word of God. Paul's always going to the word. Remember last week in 2 Timothy 2, verse 9, he says, For which I suffer hardship, even to imprisonment as a criminal, but the word of God is not imprisoned. You can be prison, imprisoned in circumstances, 
but the Word of God is never imprisoned. And as you are in the middle of difficult circumstances, the Word of God can set you free in the middle of hard circumstances without your circumstances ever changing. Why? All Scripture. Hey, guys, we got to get this. You guys still with me? You need a B12 shot or anything? We got to get this. We got to finish strong on this. All Scripture is inspired by God. Theopneustos. God, theos, pneuma, God breath, God breathe. All Scripture is God breathed. That's where it comes from. It's sourced in God. God breathed it out. And it was recorded by these men that God chose. All Scripture is inspired by God. All Scripture comes from God. You guys know that the Bible says that God doesn't lie? Actually, the Bible doesn't say that. It says God cannot lie. There's a difference. God, there are some things God can't do. God can't lie. If it's his word and it's his breath, all scripture is inspired by God. Why do we make such a big deal out of the Bible? Because the Bible is, note the next phrase, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable. Some of you guys haven't seen a prophet in two years. Have you? You want some profit? Get in your Bible. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable. And it's profitable, watch this, for four different deals in your life. It'll hit you from four different ways. Number one, Scripture is profitable for teaching, for reproof, correction, for training in righteousness. So this is why we teach. This is why we study. This is why we have, and you know, hey, guys, let me tell you something. You know how, you know how uh, providentially blessed we are in this church with the teachers that are in this church? Let me tell you something. You got some guys around here that are just world class. This guy Swindler, who teaches here on Sundays. <laughs> this guy's pretty good. But then you got other guys here that are teaching classes. I mean, you got some Bible teacher here, teachers here. These guys are these guys are fabulous. They're some of the best Bible teachers in the world. And they're here in this church. And they're teaching classes on Sundays. You can come in here at Chuck, and then you go to one of these classes and catch these guys. It's incredible. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching. These guys have got a gift of teaching. Why, why do we want to be taught the Word of God? Because it's the Word of God. We're lied to. We're deceived. We're conned. We're faked out. We got all these faint moves. I'll do this, and the guy does this, and all this stuff. And No. God never lies. He tells the truth. So it's profitable for teaching. I can live off this teaching. Secondly, the word of God is profitable for reproof. Sometimes I get off course, and so do you. Sometimes I get into stuff I shouldn't be in. And so what does the word of God do? It reproves me. You've seen those movies sometimes where a guy panics and he's all freaked out. 
and he kind of loses control, somebody slaps him in the face. Sometimes the word of God just kind of slap you in the chops. You go, oh gosh. You get, and you get, you know what? You get convicted. You ever get convicted? That's the Holy Spirit using the word of God. All scripture is profitable for teaching, for reproof. I'm off track here. I'm off track. But he doesn't just reprove us because the next thing he does that's for my profit is all scripture is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for what? Correction. So I'm off, and now what does the word got to do? It corrects me and puts me back on course. That's what it does. That's the power of the word of God. It navigates me through my daily life. He will lead you. He will lead you. He will make it clear to you. You just have to be tuned in. When he, when he reproves you, immediately respond. Don't say, well, you know, I need to think about it. You don't need to think about it. Do it. Quit screwing around. Get back on track. If you feel like you, you've wronged somebody, you need to go talk to them, talk to them. Get it straight. Get it squared. Get it corrected. This is how you live life and then you enjoy life. Listen to the Spirit of God. <clears throat> and, he's, well, and he, you know, he doesn't have to, Steve, I want you to go. That didn't happen. But there's this inner sense. There's this conviction. You know what I'm talking about. The Word of God is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Training in righteousness. My, my son Josh at Christmas got his girlfriend, a, 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 I can't even say it, a Siberian Husky. And, of course, she's in school across town in an apartment and can't take care of it, so he takes care of it, and it's ruined his life. <laughs> because as he said to me a few weeks ago, he says, this dog is the single most self-centered, argumentative, <laughs> dominant, stiff-necked creature probably on the face of the earth. And what he's attempting to do is to train this dog. Oh, it's a Siberian Husky. All this sucker wants to do is pull a sled in the snow. That's all it wants to do. So if, he, if he'll go run with it for 18 miles, <laughs> he might get a response when he says, sit. <laughs> Training in righteousness. The only way, and by the way, hey guys, in our lives, this training in righteousness is a lifelong deal. As long as you're on the face of the earth following Christ, you're being trained in righteousness. So it's profiting me for four things, but there's a reason it's profiting me for four things. Do you see this? And I'm almost done. And here's the purpose of all this. All Scripture is inspired by God. Profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training, righteousness. And then, when you read this in original language, the way it's, it's structured, it's, it's like, here's the purpose. Here's the purpose. All scriptures inspired by God, profitable for teaching, correction. Uh, I missed one. Teaching, what's the second one? Reproof, correction, training, righteousness. Watch this. That the man of God may be adequate. The word adequate means complete. And then he says, equipped for every good work. The word equip means furnished. 
Let me read it that way. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, reproof. You're starting to get this verse, aren't you? Correction. Training in righteousness so that the man of God may be, watch this, completely furnished for every good work. Everything you need in your life to be the man that you desire to be. You want to be a better husband? You want to be a better father? You want to be better connected to your kids? You want to be whatever you want to be? It's all from the Word of God. It's the God-breathed Word of God that completely furnishes you for the work that God has for you to do in the midst of a culture that's fallen apart, in the midst of so many churches that are leaving the Word of God, you say, oh, man, I want to be used. I want my life to count, but I get overwhelmed. I see all this negativity. You be a man of God. You be a man of the Word. When he reproves you, you listen. When he corrects you, you respond. You keep chewing on the Word of God. Why? Because it's going to completely furnish you. It'll make you a better father. It'll make you a better leader. I don't know if I have what I need for this or that. You may not, but this book will give it to you. So we're continuing to grow and we continue to be trained. And you know what God's going to do? He's going to use us. He's going to use us. He's going to use us. We just keep following Christ. Those are our marching orders. And when you follow him, you're in his word. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. We're living in difficult times, hard times, discouraging times, but our eyes are upon you. We don't fret. We're not anxious. We trust in you. We trust in you alone. Many different needs in this room. Only the power of your word can heal what's wrong with our lives. The power of your touch can heal broken relationships and broken homes and broken marriages. As the culture continues to run from you, we run to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.